0: This podcast is brain powered by the University of Sydney. We are controlling transmission. Dr. Carl and
1: Adam Spencer. Yes, hello. How are you sleek geeksters and welcome to the all new series. Of the Sleek Geeks podcast with myself, Adam Spencer, and Dr. Carl Krzelnitsky. How are you, Carl? Ever so
0: peachy keen, Dr.
1: Adam? It's been a while.
0: I've missed you during our hiatus
1: between I'm... Series 1 and now.
0: Oh, I'm still missing you, Adam, but it's gradually fading away as I glory in your presence yeah, again. I would hope that given the fact that I'm now here, you're not missing me. Well, it's just fading away. I'm slow in my responses. <laughs>
1: Well, I'm, as as you're as you're missing me recedes, <laughs> uh, not having seen you for a while this time of the year, guess I've I've brought you a present.
0: What? Yeah. What an amazing coincidence! I bought you a present. No, really. What, what have you brought me? Oh, uh, it's a copy of a book by this Dr. Carl bloke. You've brought me a copy of your latest book. Yeah. Now there's
1: a coincidence. Guess what I've brought you as a present. What?
0: A copy of your latest fabulous book. My latest
1: book, Adam Spencer's World of. Numbers, available at adamspencer.com.au, is my gift to you. Carl, have that. And And here's mine back to you. Oh, wow. Dr. Carl's short, back and science. Now, I've I've been aware of the existence of this book. This is actually the first moment I've held a copy in my hands.
0: And same here, and it says here on the front of yours um, eight the average number of words in a blurb brackets okay comma I made that up exclamation oh, you lied yeah you've
1: you you've you've focused in on the one fact in the entire book that's complete bollocks thank you for getting me off oh. on a good start there so talk me through short back insights people are familiar with your oeuvre. yep is this your sort of annual publication of stuff you've stumbled across in the last twelve months or revisited from the past that's just Tickled your fancy? Yeah, th- th-
0: this is the last couple of months, the last eight months, stuff that I, I read my way through a huge number of scientific journals and these are the ones that I thought the general public would be interested in. So, for example, you're probably familiar with the phenomenon of uh, breaking the seal. Can you describe that to the people who don't drink much alcohol? Isn't breaking the seal the concept
1: that you go out with people, you're social, you engage in a few libations? You libations, have a, you say? You have a few drinks and you might go an hour and a half and not need to use the bathroom at all. Then suddenly you'll go to the bathroom. You think, okay, that's great. I've emptied. I'll probably need to go to the bathroom again in another hour and a half. But only 10, 15 minutes later, you might need to go to the bathroom again. And suddenly you're going to the bathroom very regularly and you're thinking- You're getting why,
0: friction burns on the inside
1: of your urethra. Why did it take so long to fill up my bladder the first time? And then drinking at the same rate, I seem to be filling up my bladder eating exponentially faster. That's the concept of
0: breaking the seal, yeah, yes. And I'll give you a six word answer. Yes. Drink a six pack, comma, Urinate a 10 pack. Drink a six pack. Comma,
1: urinate a 10 a pack. Ten, so, I'm okay. So, I'm more is leaving my body than is coming in. It's the alcohol effectively dehydrating. Yeah. Me.
0: So, the alcohol is this amazing substance that you can use to strip oil off garage floors, mm-hmm. store body parts in glass jars mm-hmm. for centuries and in small quantities can sometimes make people feel better and it also it interferes with your hydration mechanisms in your brain. So... Pick two extremes, like you're inside in an office and you've decided that you have to drink lots of water to align your kundalinis and your chakras sure. as air So you have all be been gen- there. Yeah, so it's generating huge amounts of a very dilute urine. The other side is that you're out on a hot day, you forgot to bring some water, you're sweating like crazy, you're working really hard, and you generate only tiny, tiny amounts of a very dark urine. So they're the two extremes. But people have seen if you've ever been on building sites, there are actually,
1: and sometimes even in hospitals. As a health and safety check, there's a sort of urine colour chart. There's a rainbow of yellows from almost white Mm. all the way through to almost brown, and as you move further up that list, you're more dehydrated if your urine is a brighter or darker yellow. That's correct? Yeah,
0: you're heading towards the dehydration, and alcohol interferes with this. So for every in a beer, for every 200 mils in, 3.2. Uh, 320 mils out. 200 in, 320 out. Now, straight away you can see that I lied. I should have said... Drink a six pack, comma urinate a nine point six pack, Adam. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'll right? round it up. Round it up. Round it up. And the second thing is that you know, like when I'm coming around to your place, they say, "Hey, Carl's coming around quickly. Let's line up six glasses of green tea. We're gonna be rocking tonight." And so is that
1: is that one of the one of the reasons that if you are drinking alcohol over an extended period, say at a, a lunch or mm. a sporting event or something, people recommend in between each glass of alcohol, you should also alternate with a glass of water, both to slow down the rate at which you're imbibing the alcohol, so over time you drink less and less inebriated, which isn't a bad thing, and also you're replenishing the water stocks in
0: you that would be depleted by the alcohol ah but the alcohol is more powerful than the water so even really if you if you, even if you drink two glasses in you're still going to be urinating more so one glass of beer two glasses of water one beer two water Wait, you, one, stu- like you
1: won't stop the urination no. won't but, stop
0: the seal beam oh, won't no. reseal the seal but it will will it slow the dehydration process um you're still going to get le- you'll be still dehydrated not not as much but you'll be still dehydrated. Alcohol always wins. Is that why when
1: people might have too much to drink, sometimes the next morning you wake up with what feels like a very dry mouth? Mm. And is the, is the headache sensation and all that,
0: is part of that hangover sensation dehydration? Part of it's dehydration and part of it is due to specific chemicals. One part that Western society does not understand are the specific chemicals. So all the bartenders, they, they're really clear on this. Mm-hmm you got a night of people drinking white rum, low violence, dark rum, high violence, and they just see it all the time. We don't know what the chemicals are that make the difference. It's all in Dr. Carl's Short, Back and Science. What I like about the book
1: also, it's similar to my book in a sense of there's no uh, unifying philosophy that ties together. There's no single narrative in the book. It's a range of different stories that are all interesting and all go to the point of it's great to be curious and isn't the world an amazing place, but it's not a book on a single topic, is it, Carl? It's a sort of grab bag of things that have caught your eye
0: across the course of the last eight to 12 months. Covering so many different topics, such as, let me just quote here by looking quickly in the diary, how we humans have actually tipped the earth off its axis with global warming. And the world's most expensive teacup, $40 million.
1: I saw that on the back of your book. Why would you pay $40 million for a cup of tea? What's that about?
0: Well, these are six, there's only half a dozen of these Chinese um, chicken cups made at a time in Chinese pottery 500 years ago where their technology was at the highest level. The zenith of the Chinese zenith. chicken cup pottery. And of all of the Chinese chicken cups in existence, fewer than a dozen, the number in China was zero. And so a Chinese multi-billionaire from Shanghai, a sort of rough-hewn sort of guy, thought mm-hmm. he'd buy one. And there, there was a problem. Now, um, when he was actually trying to buy it at Sotheby's, the price was 24 million British pounds. yeah And, um, mate... His American Express card, his black metal American Express card was good for it, but Solabis, they're such wusses. Do you know they've got a credit limit of only £900,000 per swipe? On your credit card? I, I know. The
1: number of times I've wanted to throw down 20... 20- million on something. Yeah, right. So, you know,
0: oh. he, he had to swipe it about 25 times. He, uh, uh, oh, so you, you can do multiple swipes. Yeah, he had to do multiple swipes. And, and the poor guy was so exhausted at the end of it yeah. that when they came out with a cup of tea for him, he thought... I'm so tired. I bought this cup for $40 million Australian dollars, 24 million British pounds. I'll just tip the tea into the cup and drink it. And people are looking at this cup with you're breaking it, just looking at it. It's the only one in China. It's the only one we've got. And people are freaking out, accusing him yeah. of being, him being a barbarian. But, of course, being made with good technology, it survived. But he nevertheless put up with a lot of flak. On the other hand, he did get a lot of frequent flyer points.
1: I was going to say, do you get points on your whatever, what type of Amex was that, black metal? The black,
0: the black titanium one, and you get one and a half points per dollar. So he would have picked up, you know, 50 million points. 60 million, po- million points. Oh, something huge. Not that he needed it anyway. And four cents off his petrol. To and Going to your book now, Adam. Yes. By the way, with, by the way Fat Leaves Your Body the same way it went in through your mouth. We have to thank Reuben Meerman. Isn't that fascinating stuff? Yeah. So your your mouth is your main excretory organ. I've been having fun weighing myself overnight and discovering that I'm 400 grams, 600 grams mm. lighter in the morning, mm. and that's all the water vapour and carbon dioxide that left my body
1: during the night. That was Reuben's discovery, that when you lose weight, most of it is in the form of CO2
0: being exhaled. It is. Now, but, uh, no, looking at your book, Adam, I see that you... You've thrown in something on the periodic table, I could weep. Yes, yeah, so my, my uh, world of numbers,
1: not yeah. unlike my book of numbers last year, world of numbers, self-published through adamspencer.com.au. It's, it's, a, it's two different things, Carl. Yeah? It's, it's a book of numerical trivia that you don't need a mathematical bone in your body to understand, and the mm-hmm. other half is beautiful mathematics, excursions into mathematics, some of it up to university-level mathematics, but I like to think I walk people really slowly through. And my 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 one sort of unifying philosophy of the world of numbers, I think, was that the essence of being human is to look around and go, wow, what what's going
0: on? Oh, the sense of curiosity. That, that even a yes. three-year-old,
1: but why, but why, but why? I think that's probably the defining, for me, the defining human characteristic is having sufficient grey matter grunt to wonder about the world and try and explain things. And even some of the more bizarre and embarrassing explanations people come up with at times for things mm-hmm. are driven just by our our desire to understand. If you accept that, I think the single most powerful way for us to describe, understand and try and find out more about the world is numbers. Oh. I think they are our most powerful tool when it comes to describing, understanding, and asking questions about measurement, weight, analysis, data, that sort of stuff. So it's just a, it's, it's a grab bag of what I think is interesting stuff around the world to do with numbers. And I thought I'd throw in there at one stage because I know nothing mm-hmm. about There's a lot of things I know nothing about. I know nothing about chemistry. So I set myself the challenge of finding out, 100 things you probably didn't know about the first 100 elements on the periodic oh. table because I in, in terms of a list, in terms of taking a set of numbers and quantifying stuff, is there any more impressive list we have ever compiled than the periodic table? Oh, to list the fundamental building blocks of our universe in a logical order, with numbers that give an insight into the number of electrons and protons and the relationship between the elements that arises therein, I think it's probably, if, if if as a civilization we could show one list to anyone of anything, mm-hmm. could you go for
0: anything other than the periodic table? That would be the one. What I find amazing about it is that when you're sitting at a table, eating food. The table and the food and you are all made of the same atoms. Mm. But you can't eat the table, but you can eat the food. And the food will turn into you. How does that happen? And so, so going through I just, I,
1: I, and I was driven by a beautiful book by a guy called Elmsley uh, called The Elements, which is pretty much looked at, ah. at the Bible of listing elements, giving a bit of their history, giving story, giving flavours, found things from other areas, had help from a lovely guy called Liam Scarlett from the University of Sydney in uh, reading my stuff and going, that doesn't quite make sense. But here's probably my favourite fact that sticks in my mind about uh, the elements. Uh, Let's go back to 1669.
0: 1669. When the German
1: alchemist Hennig Brandt
0: made history. How... He wasn't getting a whole lot of urine and melting it.
1: He was the first guy. He was the guy. First guy to isolate
0: phosphorus. Phosphorus.
1: He He was phosphorus, was he? He took his own urine. How much? Evaporated it, a few hundred mils, evaporated it, heated the residue. This gave off a vapour that condensed in water and in doing so was the first person to isolate the element that we now know as phosphorus. Wow. It's brilliant. But the point I make in the book is whenever I hear a story like that, I just wish I'd been there at the time so I could say, Hennig, well done, mate. Can I just ask, what made you think? <laughs> I'm just going to piss in this test tube, heat it up, and let's see what happens.
0: And evaporate off the water.
1: Isn't that great? Ah. You, and you go back to the, and one of those,
0: Anybody could have done that over the previous 2,000 years. One of them,
1: some people probably did and didn't realise they'd isolated a new element. Some Lots of people probably did it in the centuries before we had understanding of elements. So you get these wonderful stories early on of when they're still piecing together the periodic table. And someone like Medvedev would say, look, in between those two, there's got to be something else. There's got to right. be something at roughly this energy level or this many you know, electrons. There's got to be something around here on the periodic table. And then they'd find some some metal or some base and they, they'd think, oh, that's a new element. Turns out, no, it was just two elements we already had. Hanging out together, and mm. just the process of discovery, and 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 taking a step in one direction, and then going slightly back, that these pioneering minds that just did not have the technology we have available today. In Hennig's case, had you know anybody, a, full, a full bladder and a match. But anybody just could have done it though.
0: But he was the first who followed through all the way. I remember that statement by Richard Feynman, where he said that if all of our knowledge was lost. And we had only one sentence that we could pass on to future generations. Yep. That sentence should be, and I quote, everything is made of atoms, and that's what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: if you start from there, that's a pretty profound and and deep thing to know. Interesting, Carl, because mm. over the last couple of days, uh, through our At Sleek Geeks website, we've been running a couple of uh, Twitter poll questions to uh, gauge what our followers think about certain topics. Um, and... One of them is based on something in your book. We asked people, when you've got a typical cumulus cloud, now you're in, you're in a plane flying through the clouds, a typical cumulus cloud, consider one cubic metre of that cloud. There's obviously lots of water molecules in there. In a cubic metre, how much water? How much water does a typical cumulus cloud contain in a cubic metre? We offered people one kilo mm. or half a gram. Those are two choices. Two options that are you know, significantly different, you know, out by no. a factor of, what, 5,000, okay? 70% of people said there'd be a kilo of water in a cubic metre of a cumulus cloud. 30% of people said half a gram. So you're talking, you know, a drop in a teaspoon. hmm what is it, Carl? Number two, out of yes, your book, short back in science.
0: Yep, the answer is half a gram per wow. cubic metre. But the weight of air in a cubic metre is about one and a quarter kilograms. So, you got one, so air is not weightless, regardless of mm-hmm. what certain ex-Prime Ministers might have said. Mm-hmm. Uh, gases are not weightless. So the air, the atmosphere, the oxygen and nitrogen weighs 1.25 kilograms, uh, 1,200 or so grams, and then the water vapor in a typical cumulus cloud is half a gram per cubic meter. And you're thinking, well, well what holds it up? Because um, if you've got a cubic kilometer of cloud, mm. you're suddenly looking at about 500 tons or tons, and that's sort of the weight of a big, huge passenger jet. In the case of a passenger jet, what they have is a small amount of air being moved very quickly. In the case of a cloud, you have a large amount of air being moved slowly, and there's three ways that it can move. Firstly, the sun shines on the ground, the ground gets hot, the air next to the ground gets hot, it expands... It rises, method number one. Method number two, you have the air flowing over a mountain and it has to go up and it just keeps on going and pushes up a cloud above that mountain. Um, And then method number three, you have a storm front coming through, creeping along at the ground, pushing everything up above it. But the thing is that clouds have weight and it's held up there by moving air. Some people would look at that and think, well, half a gram of
1: water, that's what? That's barely it. That's about a raindrop. And so if that's one cubic metre, how does so much rain come out of clouds. I guess it's, just, it's, an, it's an
0: issue of of perception. And how much, uh, how many cubic kilometres you have. Exactly. And you can go by a factor of 10 if you go for a very dense cloud. And then if you've got your intense rainstorm, you can get have even denser clouds, but they're very, very uncommon. So you have these intense rains where you have, they still use inches of rain in 24 hours, huge amounts. And there are some places in Australia, I think, up near Cairns, we have a couple of meters of rain every year as opposed to the centre of Australia where it's the deserts are defined as less than two hundred millimeters of rain a year.
1: And also how quickly things stack up. If you've got a cubic meter, and that's a decent size, a cubic mm. meter crate in front of you, but if you're talking about a cubic kilometre, well that's a thousand meters by yeah. a thousand meters by a thousand metres. By a thousand metres one thousand meters in each kilometer. So up to a thousand by a thousand, which is a million, a thousand million, one billion cubic meters in that cubic kilometer. So up to one
0: billion little half grams of rain. Now you're talking some rain. Yeah, and in fact, you could fit all the humans on Earth... I love this. ..in a box, easily that side. Now, this is in your book here.
1: It's not, it's not in my world of numbers. I should have put it in. I love it that, yeah, if you took all the people who currently exist in the world, think about how many people there are, give a rough average size for each person, you know, less than two metres high and, you know, 50 centimetres across, all the human mass in the world could fit inside a box one kilometre by one kilometre by one kilometre. It'd be fairly comfy... And It'd you'd be very rather squashed. you'd rather be near the top of the box. Yeah. That's all we say. Now
0: I see here living La Vida Longer. You talk about the incredibly long lifespan that certain creatures have Isn't on this great? pages one one six and one one seven. Because we've got we've got yeah you know, human life, and we all want to live to a healthy old age in in robust health. But the orange roughy uh, fish, also known as the deep sea perch, it used to be very popular here in Australia. Mm. When I was buying that, which I shouldn't have been, I probably didn't know any better at the time, I was eating a fish that was older than my
1: grandparents.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orange ruffies can live
1: up to 149, 150 years.
0: So you're eating... The trouble is when you're eating the fish when they're that old, you're just sort of destroying the top predator people. and...
1: And if you take out the fish younger than that that could have lived a long time and had lots and lots of offspring, that can have a devastating effect on said population yeah a lot of a lot of your a lot of the animals that have the uh, the top uh, lifespans are um, ocean based there was a quahog clam that was somewhere between qu- clams have sort of rings not unlike trees oh
0: okay well, one per
1: calendar year yeah exactly and so um it's a hard shelled mollusk uh, which as uh, thought to have lived between 400 and 500 years wow. old in the case of one they found in 2007. Oh, my
0: God, it's just a clam. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you pick it up and then you...
1: Then you get a string of fish like koi fish and your uh, orange roughy that you mentioned, your deep-sea hydrocarbon tube worms can live up to 250 years. But it's when you get to um, the human, uh, humans and other non-water-based animals, you drop back a little bit. So your tortoises. Oldest human ever was probably Jean Calment who lived for 122 years and 164 days, very funny French woman, who said, I've never had but one wrinkle and I'm sitting on it.
0: Ho, ho, how ho. funny is
1: that? Um, and, but one thing I do love and I talk about in The uh, World of Numbers is when it comes to the lifespan of animals and when it comes to living tough, how awesome are tardigrades?
0: The, 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 called water bears. Yeah, so tar- they're not they're, they're not a bear and forget the water. They're interesting animals. They only... If they just live a normal, in
1: inverted commas, life, they only live for in the vicinity of 30 months. But you can take a tardigrade and freeze it and it undergoes what's called cryptobiosis. Crypto means hidden, biosis. Osis is the state of bio-life. Life Life processes. All its life processes shut down until it returns to a temperature where they can live again. So, this state called its ton state. Tun Tardigrades have been reduced to this cryptobiotic state
0: for a hundred years and then reanimated. But the body still looks the same. Yeah. Okay, so it's just that they're not moving. It's not as though they, they, they change into a round ball. No. They, they, they've still got the little bunch of legs. They've been heated to over 150 degrees for 15 minutes or
1: frozen in liquid helium for minus 272, getting close to absolute zero. They've been sent into outer... Liquid out
0: of, helium? Yeah. Been, no, not, not just liquid nitrogen, but liquid helium. Liquid
1: helium. Jeez. They've been sent into outer space and back. They can be cryptobiotic for decades and then his pap pop pop back out and go, G'day, I'm a tardigrade. Let's party. Wow,
0: that'd be ideal for travelling. Wouldn't it be funny if that's the first thing we discover on Mars? All these tardigrades going, where were you? Oh, I've actually done a story related to that in my book about um, a creature that doesn't get old, is a vegetarian, apart from eating its babies in its own poo, Sure, and um, doesn't get... Old and doesn't get cancer. What is that creature? It's the naked mole rat, which is not naked. It's actually got a hundred hairs. Sure, it's not a mole and it's not a rat. It's a rodent. Good name. And they live un- in underground tunnels uh, on the high plains of eastern Africa. They've been there for a couple of million years, and they never get cancer. Unlike sharks, which occasionally get cancer, these guys never get cancer. They do not get old. They do not drink they're vegetarian, they do not have any subcutaneous fat, they're about as blind as a tree. So a tree knows if it's day or night, but it can't pick up any details. So mm-hmm. they're in, and they don't suffer chemical burns So because they're in such a high carbon dioxide environment and they never get cancer, I never, pre- never, never.
1: I presume in this age of increasing genetic awareness and data processing, we're investigating these animals as we are others that don't seem to get cancers or other human Mm. maladies to try and work out what the genetic basis is to see if that gives us an insight into diseases that can burden us?
0: Well, we're looking at it, um, but it all depends on how much your country cares about science. Mm. So you and I, we get older and our skin gets thinner and the muscles get weak. They do not have their skin get thinner, their muscles don't get weaker, their joints don't get arthritis, they do not get any problems at all with their bones. Once they go from baby to adult, they are identical until and, and instead of living for an animal of their size, one and a half years, they they live for thirty years, and they're in perfect health, and we don't know why. Nothing has changed. And then they die, and we don't know why, and they never get cancer.
1: It is all in Dr. Carl's short, back, and science available at all good bookstores. If you don't know about the tardigrade or anything else.
0: Oh, let me say, it's in Adam Spencer. Are you, Adam, you've got the apostrophe in the right place. Thank oh, you, Carl. Adam. Thank you. In a book about numbers, you've got the apostrophe right. So and there's a, you're wearing a very nice little stubble there, Adam. Thank you, Carl. Beautifully maintained. World of Numbers.
1: That's the Sleek Geeks podcast for this week, Carl. I'm going to retire with your book. Uh, to my room tonight, read a bit, and hopefully fall into an eight-hour cryptobiotic state.
0: I'm going to read about The Periodic Table because I'm just in love with it. And also you mentioned Darwin, and I'm guessing you're talking not just about the city of Darwin, but the man? No, you're wrong. It's entirely the city. Go ah, and read the book. But do you know it's the only city in the world named after a scientist? There you go. Oh.
1: Enjoy. We'll speak to you soon on the Sleep Geeks podcast. <laughs> cakes